Hey everybody, welcome back to Giant Talk, the world's first OKR podcast brought to you in conjunction with Koan. Um, I am delighted to have you all listening once again and to welcome our guest, Ian Harvey from Elsevier. Ian, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Lawrence. Nice to be here. Good, good. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, well, your challenge really of, of implementing OKRs in, I guess, what can only be described as, as quite a large organization. So what would be fantastic for me is if you could give us a bit of background about yourself, you know, your experience, and then tell us who Elsevier are and what they do. Great. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Ian Harvey. I'm the portfolio director um, for the research part of the Elsevier business. And I guess um, as a portfolio director, what you're doing is thinking about the overall um, makeup of your investment portfolio, but also how you deliver it. Um, and if I look back on my career, which is quite a long one, I've been a portfolio director a few times, but I've also led technology teams around semantic technology. I've been a business analyst. Um, and ultimately, a lot of those roles, I spent a lot of time thinking about you know, why are we doing this? What, what's the purpose of doing this? And often organizations struggle to answer that question. And you know, if you look at look at people on the ground do they have a clear understanding of what the organization is trying to achieve in many places i've worked i've been at places like GlaxoSmithKline, um, emc pearson really large organizations actually in most cases quite a lot bigger than elsevier um, right. getting that understanding of the strategy and why we're trying to do what we're doing um, is, is quite a challenge so it's always something i've had a, a big interest in you know, what i call lead measures of success do we know that the investment we're making is going to lead to a commercial outcome for the organization? And um, yeah, so, so that's always been part of my role at Elsevier. Interesting. And um, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's what got me here. Okay. So, so give us a quick overview of who Elsevier are then and what they do. Sure. Yeah. You did ask that question, Lawrence, and I didn't really <laughs> answer it. So Elsevier really, there's two parts to Elsevier. We are, a business that makes um, solutions for the healthcare industry, including systems for training nurses, for giving clinical guidance to physicians, um, and, uh, and training solutions around the healthcare industry. The part of the business I'm in is research. And what research does is help all the members of the research community, and that can be um, universities, institutions, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, researchers themselves, and the people who fund research. We build systems and provide data, information, and insights for for those members of the research community, um, and that's primarily based around. You know, we started as a pure pure play publisher, really, um, and I think most people in the UK would have heard of the Lancet is our most famous brand name. But we published right. two and a half thousand journals altogether, and getting on for a quarter of all science published globally comes through Elsevier. Wow. Okay, so that's quite an impressive resume, then, really. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a decent size organization, and uh, yeah, and we're we're making it well. We've made a lot of that pivot to become a true digital business, and as many organizations do, it's it's much more now about decision support, information analytics, that kind of thing, rather than rather than like publishing and things like that. Sure. So, what's the current headcount of the organization then? Elsa is around about seven thousand people. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, well over a thousand technologists. I think we're near a two thousand now in technologists. All right, and, and we, we uh, consider it very much a technology business. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
you know, a lot of uh, traditional organizations that you come across these days actually are, are really a technology business or at least technology enabled in some way. We're finding that with a lot of our clients. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And all of our new products are, are very much, um, yeah, very much technology oriented. And if you look at the kind of skills we're looking for in here on LinkedIn and seeing the Elsevier um, LinkedIn feed, you'll see machine learning, data science. You know, those are the mm. skills we're looking for the most at the moment. Absolutely. And that is a, a really interesting sector to be playing in at this time, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's very exciting. And you think about the kind of things it can do for research um, and, and for healthcare. It's, it's mm. very impressive and, and, yeah, and interesting. And we've got quite a big team of data scientists at the moment. But yeah, like everyone, we're, we're chasing that small pool. But I think, you know, we've got an interesting mission, which is about you know, progressing scientific research and, and, mm. and having clinical outcomes. So, you know, that, that's our USP, really. So are you globally distributed as a workforce then, or do you tend to have one central hub? We're, we're distributed. So the, the main areas that we have people at the moment would be um, Philadelphia and London for research, but also Amsterdam and Aalborg. Those are kind of our main sites. Um, right. but we've also got people in um, New York. We've got a couple of subsidiaries, um, part of the organization in California. Um, yeah. So, and and also in Frankfurt, we've got a, a, a big operation in Frankfurt. So yeah, pretty global. And then we've got support services and offshore in India and the Philippines. Yeah. So yeah, pretty much a global reach. Amazing. What an exciting time to be uh, part of that organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, very much so. And how long have you been with them, Ian? I've been here about four and a half years now. Yeah, coming up to four and a half years. And have you seen much of a change since you were there? Since you started? Absolutely. Yeah, I think for sure. I think you think about how technology itself has changed in those four years and what, what, for example, AI is capable of in reality and data science. Um, that's changed the kind of products we're looking to build and how we can impact our customers. Um, and also you know, as a business, you know, relating it back to our topic, becoming more focused on a difference between outputs and outcomes and you know, we're learning that yeah. and uh yeah that's it is yeah quite a lot of change but but gradual of course it doesn't happen overnight no it never can not in an organization of that size no. so so that brings us on to okrs then really i mean what what was the situation you guys found yourselves in at elsevier that led you to looking for that new strategic framework yeah, so the, so the genesis really for OKRs for us was there was a big management conference in Berlin where the top 100 managers in the company got together and looked at what are the biggest three priorities for the organization. And right. um, one of them was around really alignment and, and goal clarity. Um, and three projects were created and one of them was around goal clarity and with the idea that everyone in the organization understood how what they were doing supported the organizational strategy and that's a challenge for any big company um, and we've just been through an exercise of training an awful lot of products and some tech people um, with silicon valley product group techniques if you know marty kagan's um, inspired book so the principles that he talks about in that book and um, one of the partners of svpg chris jones was um, was our trainer and once I, I mean, the goal clarity, as I said to you in my kind of bio, this is something I'm really interested in. So I volunteered myself onto that team. And at that point, we hadn't decided what 
what strategic alignment tool to use. And um, having having done the SVP SVPG training and um, really grasped that and liked it, I realised that Marty um, recommends OKRs as as right. the methodology. So that's how we that's how we arrived there. Interesting. Okay. So how many years ago was that? That was about two years ago. Yeah. Right. Okay. So just when OKRs were starting to reach this little curve of popularity that they're the this uh, wave they're riding still then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if I if I went if I did a kind of search looking for OKR experts now, I'd find it very easy. At the time, because we wanted to link it to um, SVPG, I, I said to Chris, you know, do you, do you know anyone who trains in OKRs? And the person they recommended, you'll know, Felipe Castro. Yeah. And um, put me in touch with Felipe. And uh, yeah, and that, that's where we started. But yes, absolutely. It was didn't have the the popularity and, and scope that it does now. It's, you know, it's, it's really amazing. The last two years, it's really taken off. It really is quite incredible, isn't it? Actually, I mean, mm -hmm. it would be it would be remarkable, I think, to compare even just the Google data around the search term OKR from, yeah, from yeah. then and now, and and how many phrases are getting linked to it. Um, Absolutely, I'd be really interested, and you, and you can see it's kind of reached that maturity where you start to see some bigger players kind of get, getting involved, and and also yeah. as, as well as all the positive stuff that. that people like you and Roger are working on and some mm. other consultants I've met, you start to get some misinformation coming about. Um, yes. It's reached that point where, yeah, people are jumping on the bandwagon who don't really understand the principles behind it. Yeah. Okay. Our fake news as uh, Felipe calls it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Spot on. Okay. So, I mean, you decided you wanted to go down the line with OKRs then. Um, you mm -hmm. had almost 7,000 people to roll them out to. So yeah, next, yeah. So so I talked to Philippe, and we we developed a, a kind of immediate plan, which was to train a core group of people in the principles, right? Um, with the principle of kind of from a change management change management perspective, building some champions, having some people who understood the principles who could take it back to teams, maybe in some cases train some other people, and um, and also to think about how we rolled it out so felipe helps us not only with the principles and the training also to put together a, a kind of an approach to managing okrs that was that was our starting point yeah and that's what it's all about really you've got to have a change management plan don't you for especially for a company of your size yeah absolutely i know there isn't you know to change to that many people organizations have a have this ability to spring back into shape very very quickly and very easily um, where they appear to be, it appears to be changing and you get all the signs it's changing if you don't have a change management program supporting it doing all the kind of sensible change management work and if people don't understand the why they don't necessarily get the right coaching you don't track progress to success um, and it's yeah, it's not just an okr thing you know, any kind mm. of corporate change needs that that change management with it but you know cars are no different yeah. Okay. So one of the really interesting conversations that we've had, and I know we've met a couple of times and spoken over the phone, is is all about this goal clarity group that you set up at Elsevier. Mm -hmm. um, can Can you explain to the listeners what that is for me? Yeah. So that group is, I guess, there were people like me. I mean, it started with a guy called Paul Fockler, 
um, right. who was at the management conference. And Paul is one of the founders of Mendeley, who, which is one of our core products at Elsevier. It was acquired by Elsevier about five years ago, I think, before I joined, but not that long before. Right. Um, so Paul's a very established, and he was the main product manager at Mendeley. So he was a very established guy. He was the kind of leader of that team. And the other people were people from around the organization who I guess had the same interest as I did, which right. is this desire for goal clarity and to have a strategic execution framework in place. Um, so yeah, we started off with about five people, but we also invited other people as a kind of, um, so that core team planned the rollout, but there are additional people who sat in the training and were, you know, what I said, mentioned before, were champions and they were kind of peripheral members of that team. But that, that team's pretty much st stuck together. You know, Paul and I were doing training sessions and, and OKR setting sessions a week ago in Amsterdam. So it's, you know, that, that right. team's persisted. Um, and yeah, we've, we've, we've been through that cycle of change. So which came first for you then, the OKRs or the Gold Clarity Group? It was the Goal Clarity Group, yeah. So that was it. I, we got the principle of Goal Clarity. We'd just done the SVPG training, and it, yeah, the connection was okay. Um, they're recommending OKRs. I like right. the sound of them. Let's talk to. And Felipe was the person who kind of finally sold it to us and uh, <laughs> you know, really established the principles with them. I mean, the most obvious thing I love is just that things have to be measurable. I mean, yeah. As as someone who oversees a lot of projects and as a portfolio director. I have a team of currently um, 13 project managers and program managers and program directors working for me. The question I'm always asking them is, how do you know that your investment is leading to success? And what OKRs do is they put measurability around it. And it's Absolutely. So, so powerful. So yeah, it made sense to me as an, as a, as an approach. And um, yeah, so goal clarity first, but OKRs is the, as the mechanism. Second. Mm -hmm. Koan is a purpose-built solution for managing your OKRs helping your teams achieve their objectives, getting them aligned, and absolutely helping them stay engaged. Sharing spreadsheets simply doesn't scale when you're trying to grow a business. With Koan, you can scale OKRs across your entire company whilst keeping the teams motivated and moving in the right direction. Now, Lawrence, there's lots of things we love about Koan, but tell me one of yours. So, I've got to say, one of my favorite things is that Koan just allows you to have a bit of fun with the OKR process. Yeah. Um, in, in series two, I think it was episode three of this podcast, we actually <laughs> spent about half an hour, 40 minutes talking about the importance of making OKRs fun for your team. Yeah. Um, and, and Koan allows you to do that perfectly. Yeah. You know, even just things like adding a, a gift to, to your reflections adds some real personality. And I think I probably waste far too much time each week looking for the perfect gift, to be honest. But it, it allows that fun throughout the organization. And that's something that's really important if you're going to keep people engaged. You are known for having the best gifts Thank you in, very much. in the team, definitely. <laughs> so if you would like to find out more about how to make OKRs fun uh, whilst using a great system, then pop along to uh, koan, that's K-O-A-N dot co forward slash giants where you'll find also a great paper that we co-wrote with them on how to build accountability and collaboration using OKRs. Okay, so um, what, I mean, I know that OKRs were recommended to you, but what is it about OKRs other than just being measurable, measurable I suppose, that, that really work well for what you were trying to achieve at Elsevier? 
Yeah, I think there's the thing is about OKRs is that they partner very, very well with good product management principles. Right. Um, and that's that's really, really important. And I look at the teams who have done well here and you know, some of the boxes that have ticked is you need very, very good levels of autonomy. Teams need to be set, problems to solve, outcomes yeah. to hit, objectives to meet. And OKRs give a really nice framework for that. So you can do things like you create an annual goal for a product team, but then you then you allow them to go and work about work work out how they get there. You don't you know, force that. You don't t- tell them in Q1 you need to be here, Q2 there, Q3 here. You say to them, okay, work out yourself your approach, and work out how you're going to measure your progress. And so OKRs really, really, absolutely support autonomy. And yes, that's think about we're looking goal goal clarity itself. I think it was a Deloitte report that said it's the number one factor in employee engagement. So, yep. and, and as obviously, so is autonomy. Uh, it's obvious that people want the autonomy to to use their skills to do their job. So, I think it was the the wire interleaves with um, product management is the key thing. And you think about you know what's what's good product management look like? It's about experimentation it's about testing hypotheses quickly and moving through them and you know, setting OKRs around those hypotheses it's not it's yes you have longer term plans when you're building a product but you need to break them down and the other thing that OKRs do is this sometimes people want to be or maybe they used to being drip fed so that what, what are your what are your objectives well I'll just take one key result from my manager and yes. uh, that will become my objective. And yes, that's you'll you'll know that absolutely. So, so what 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 do you do in that situation then? Well, it's about education. Ultimately, I mean, you know, I'm not saying there aren't teams that don't work like here. Um, probably there are, but for most teams, it's 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 encouraged people to take on problem ownership. And I think personally, I think that most people do do want problem ownership. They want the autonomy to decide, okay, how am I going to solve that problem for the customer yeah. or whatever it is? So, yeah, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say it's a, it's a big problem. Um, it's, and sometimes managers are used to kind of being directive. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's a change. It's a, it can be a change for them as well. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a big trust element. But you think about modern organisations. These are these are terms that are banded about all the time: trust, empowerment, yeah. engagement, and they go hand in hand. And I think OKR really support that especially when you attach them to you know, product management techniques like Silicon Valley product group recommend. Hmm. No, that's, that's really interesting. You know, it's, it's all about the communication at the end of the day from the managers as well, I think, isn't it about what they want them to achieve as a team? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I was talking to one of our, one of our best product VPs earlier today, and she was telling me about the way that maybe getting to some of your other questions here, Lawrence, but, the way she's had to really commit to OKRs and really use them as the number one, the not the number one, the only tool for measuring progress. Yeah, she's had to. She's they they talk about them on a weekly basis, and they're only short meetings, but they have short check-ins every week. She talks about them in one-to-ones with her team. Mm-hmm. Um, she coaches them. She's but she also empowers them to sit. So she's doing. Is that, 
yeah. that completely holistic picture of product management and OKRs together. And it's it's really powerful. And the results you've seen, absolutely, um, uh, you know, they validate her approach. And it's great. And we, we want to use that as a success story in the company and say, look at this team here. Look at how well they're doing. So do you um, you have the forum to do that then, do you? Really share those success stories? Not a formalized forum. We, we have a product guild, which you can do that. And we have kind of town halls that mm-hmm. um, senior managers run. Um, so, yeah, we have a – in big companies, there are always mechanisms for that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's going back to change management, it's, it's a bit like change management and communication around that. You can't use any one channel because – the person sitting on your left loves email and reads every email to get the person on the right. When they get a coffee, they read a poster and take it in and think, and then the next person, um, attends a town hall or or is on Slack and likes to read things on Slack. So you have to think about all the different channels of communication when you roll out OKRs, not just about train and forget or anything like that. You You have to keep banging on about it really. So these teams who are using it really well, you know, in these, with these product management techniques, they must have seen a huge rise in innovation in their teams. Yeah, ah, they've seen some. They've had some really great, you know, turnaround in terms of things like MPS, in mm. terms of um, the the amount of. Uh, so, in one case, number of help desk calls, just very powerful, very, very powerful outcomes. Yeah, That's absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. So when we first spoke, um, which feels like a long time ago now, doesn't it? Because we've had to rearrange this call two or three times. Yeah, apologies for that. It's on record there for everyone to know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You you told me about something, well, what you termed as the the honeycomb of OKR adoption. Mm. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, I think about an organisation of Elsevier's size. Mm. You, You probably don't build it by doing a whole division and then doing the next division, like you'd, like you'd build a Lego wall. You think of a Lego wall. Yeah. Um, you actually you actually do it by, here's some principles, here's some training, go away and use it. And then, then you go back and find the teams who are doing it well. And they're, right. they're the kind of, they're the walls of the honeycomb, if you like. And you, you build out from that so that you've got, and you try to find teams in every area. So if I find a team in site in the research part of our business, that's doing it really well. That's not necessarily going to communicate to, to the health part of the business. So you want to mm-hmm. find a really high performing team in health. Um, mm-hmm. And the more local you can get, if it's the team sitting next to you who are doing really well, you know, you can learn from, you can, you can learn from that. It, it, the more personal a success story is, the more yeah. powerful it is. And it's about creating those success stories all over the organization. That's really interesting. And I guess by its very nature, the, the honeycomb can almost come around 360 on itself, can't it? So that you get more localized teams as it's spread, because it doesn't need to mm. spread up or you know to the right and to the left. It can really start to form its own its own path. Absolutely, yeah. That's exactly right, yeah. I mean, you, you, it's very difficult to predict how change will bed in in a big organization. But it's about giving the conditions for it and about mm. really making it clear where it's working. You know, people, people love to hear about a success story. When we yeah. go to these conferences, yeah, we want to hear some of the challenges that people have had, but we love to hear what they've, they've learned that works well. 
Absolutely. And that's the whole point of this podcast, you know, <laughs> you know, is uh, because I think that's the one problem with OKRs, isn't it? Is there's no one correct way of doing any of it. No, um, absolutely not. And it, that's why it's hard. It's because yeah, you can't exactly. just pick up, measure what matters with all of its flaws that we know about in terms yeah. of its examples, or you can't pick, you know, radical focus. You can't any pick up the books. book and yeah, and just then learn it. You have to experience it. And it will, mm. but the implementation will be slightly different in any every team, and the implementation will be slightly different over time. You will need to tweak it and keep working with it. Yeah. Um, but but the the real the measure of success ultimately, and I remember we had a different CEO at the time, and right. we were talking about what are the measures of success for the goal clarity team, and talking about well, let's get to ninety percent of the people understand the strategic alignment things like that. And he he said, and this is why he's a CEO, and I I'm not. He mm. said, well, we'll see when it makes a, a difference in the bottom line. That's what we're looking mm. for it to do. And with OKRs, because you're suddenly starting to say, here are objectives, you also start knowing whether you're hitting your objectives. So it's, although it's very difficult to do, it can be very clear when it's working. So so have you seen a tangible difference on the bottom line? Because, I mean, that's one of the, the hardest things that you know people have to understand sometimes is, the, I don't think the return on investment is necessarily that um, that transparent where OKRs are concerned. And I think the challenge for that is that there are so many elements that make a successful, and I'm talking about a product management organization, there are mm. so many different elements that make go towards success. It's very difficult to say, okay, um, OKRs are really... 100 yeah. percent why we got there it's also about for example in our case silicon valley product group yeah. training it's about teams getting empowered but but it's definitely a big part of that picture and and i i, I can see that teams where we've embedded it well and are adopting it they're, they're seeing it in terms of their outcomes um of course you've you've got to have the right strategic planning but if, mm. if, if you're commercially oriented yeah you i think it's actually one of the easier ones to to do ROI, um, yeah, someone, yeah, not the, not, but frankly, we haven't done it, um, <laughs> but because we don't, it's also very difficult to us to say how much we've spent. You know, when I get involved yes. in the OKR program, I'm not charging against a project code or anything like no, that. No, exactly. So. Sure. Um, so, okay, if you were to to implement OKRs again, starting from scratch, a bit of a Groundhog Day moment, is there anything you'd do massively differently? Um, well, yeah. What would we do differently? I would, I would make even more effort to make sure we've got a, a really solid change program behind it. Um, right. I know it's something I said that we did to some degree. We could have done more, and and I take a bit of personal responsibility for that because I am a change management practitioner amongst other things. I think really getting that plan in place and and using some of the models out there around change management is helpful. Mm. Um, we could have done more of that. Um, rather than rushing in and we are we can be like we're a very innovative rapid organization and sometimes we we go too quickly at times um i think maybe we'd have slowed down just a little bit to think about okay let's let's understand the overall picture of change that we're that we're going we're going through yeah i mean to be honest i do think it's very common for companies of all sizes to to underestimate OKRs as a change management practice, not just mm. establishing a new goal setting framework. No, you're 100% right. 
you just should have told me that two years ago. <laughs> well, hopefully the people listening to the podcast know can yeah. now can uh, can learn from your errors, Ian. Absolutely, they've got no excuses. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, okay, so that's I guess that's the learning that you've taken from it. Um, is there any one piece of advice you think you could give to any listeners, say, who are maybe in their first quarter with OKRs or are are thinking about getting going with OKRs? Yeah, I, and I, this is this is not because of who I'm talking to, but I would the one piece of advice I would give is get someone involved or bring someone in who has worked successfully with OKRs, who mm. really understands the impact it can and will have on your business if done well, and has a bit of an understanding about how to get there. That's really critical. Don't don't just read the literature and think you're going to get there because there are so many there's so many situational things that you learn when you've got yeah. someone as a consultant you can turn to and ask questions of so that would be my yeah don't 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 forget that get yeah. someone in and use that expertise and i promise that we've not paid you for a plug. no absolutely no you did <laughs> you told me at the start of the call that this would be the final question Lawrence and uh, I hope, well, there's only one obvious answer to that, and it's going to sound like he he's paid me to say it, which uh, no, you haven't. No, I mean, you know, along that note, I think, I think the biggest risk of going it alone and missing out on a lot of the learnings and things and not doing the change management properly is that you lose the trust and motivation of the staff mm-hmm. the more you get it wrong, and you only really get one or yeah. two good goes at it. Absolutely, that's so right. And there's so much change in big organisations that people can get this kind of change fatigue creeping in. Mm-hmm. And you need to be aware of that. As you say, Spot you don't on. get multiple goes there. You need to do it right. Yeah, 100%. Ian, thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. It's been excellent. Um, thank you very much for inviting me, Lawrence. I'm, very I'm, I'm sure, sure the listeners, sure the listeners um, may may even have some questions. So um, look mm-hmm. up Ian Harvey at Elsevier on LinkedIn, and I'm sure if you have any questions, he won't mind uh, dropping you a quick note. Absolutely, um, more than happy. Yeah, it's always interesting to kind of hear other people's experiences in OKRs and their journey they're going on. Um, because I learned through that as well. But yeah, happy to share the knowledge I have. That's fantastic. Really appreciate that. Um, but apart from that, thank you again, everybody, for for listening. Um, that was another episode of Giant Talk, and tune in next week for the for the next one. Cheers, everyone. Bye.